0: 505, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. It is a Tuesday afternoon. Many of us, many of us followed the outrageous stories from the Virginia Parole Board. I got to know the family of Michael Patrick Connors, that's the Richmond police officer, badge 192, by the way, that was uh, gunned down in cold blood. His twice convicted killer was released gleefully, was actually welcomed uh, with a little uh, get together with a sitting state senator. How disgusting is that? Uh, the parole board was out of control, and our attorney general, Jason Meares, said, I, I'm going to go and investigate this. Governor Yunkin had an executive order, order number three, as I recall, that said to the attorney general, let's get to the bottom of this. That report is out. That investigation is complete, and I'm happy to say that Jason Meares is joining us. Jason, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you, and um, uh, thanks for being part of the uh, group of journalists, curious about what happened
0: yeah i i am uh well frankly i'm disgusted by what happened i've actually read the report but i i want you if you don't mind let go, go let's go through it sort of point by point what yeah. was happening with this parole board
1: well i mean listen as you know the governor signed executive order number three shortly after just within an hour after we got sworn in and um it was actually candidly worse than we thought. We, the, the public reports obviously dealing with the Vincent Martin case where he, he killed, um, uh, killed Officer Connors, but then and a couple others. But it wasn't until we, we were enabled to actually dig in, appreciate the governor's office, essentially uh, having the parole board and uh, the Virginia Department of Corrections completely cooperative with us, that we realized it was that much worse. Than we ever saw, and it's really three huge red flags that have come out as a result of our investigation. Number one, uh, there are 134 uh, convicted felons released early from prison on parole in just a two-month period of March and April 2020. Uh, 130 out of these 134 would be considered violent offenders. These are, uh, you know, four capital murderers, 31 first-degree murders, 11 rapists multiple uh convictions for armed robbery the average the average sentence of someone that was discharged early from prison was 104 years in other words life plus 28 years is the average sentence of who is released back on the streets um then we found on top of that not only did they release these individuals early they failed to notify victims 83 different failures or or violations of a failure to notify the victims uh, these are the victims or the families of those that have been murdered, raped, or robbed. In fact, we know from the pro board report that the previous pro board chair, Adrian Bennett, had instructed her staff not to contact rape victims because it may traumatize them to know that their rapist is back on the street. Well, you know what would also traumatize them? Finding out secondhand or running into the rapist out in the community or in the store. Uh, and then we saw that there were 66 violations where they failed to notify the Commonwealth's Attorney. Um, we have over 50 violent offenders released uh, in March and April as well. That the parole examiners had actually recommended against releasing these individuals back into the community because of the high likelihood of committing more violent crimes. And and then we saw multiple instances where these individuals uh, committed more violent crime. Vincent Martin, who had 42 prior felonies, gets out within within a year has committed 15 additional violent felonies. Hugh Brown, who is serving a life and sentence for shooting his pregnant girlfriend and setting her body on fire, uh, in which he had been referred to as sociopathic. Just in 2018, uh, Chairman Bennett ordered his relief and ordered them to stop the victim notification system alerting the uh, release. We saw that as well, there was a host of individuals, about 137 individuals, that they had made a decision not to uh, to have an early release of parole supervision. These are individuals that have been released, but they are required by law to have at least five years of supervision by their parole officer. And this is for safety, making sure they are seeking employment, making sure they're staying off of drugs. Uh, we saw multiple instances where these individuals were released out of parole supervision, and we found at least three parole discharge records in which the parole uh, supervising parole officer Said they never authorized a release of supervision and these public records were altered altering a public record in virginia's punishable up to 12 months in jail but it is a one-year statute of limitation and because the previous governor and the previous attorney general were asleep at the switch and had made no effort to investigate this the statute of limitations that expired in 2021 prior to us taking office and so um it was a systematic breakdown of a parole granting frenzy that led to the endangerment of more and more Virginians. I mean, they even voted to release the notorious tower rapist of Norfolk that raped 13 women over the course of two years. He was scheduled to be released, and only by the grace of God did the Norfolk Police Department alert the parole board that he was now wanted an additional rape charge dating back to the 1990s. Otherwise, he was slated to be released. They had never even checked with the proper authorities. And you saw such a systematic failure where people were released People sometimes are released back in their communities, that they committed a, the additional violent crimes. And I've said before, the one word you never heard debated during our our debate about our criminal justice reform was victims. We never talked about victims. We ignored the victims, and we see in this in this report a system, uh, just a system of ignoring the victims uh, by the former parole board chair Adrian Bennett, who's now Judge Bennett. And uh, I got to be honest, it was one of the most frustrating. Uh, investigations to see just the level of systematic breakdown of the failure to contact victims, law enforcement, and Commonwealth attorneys. It was astonishing to see.
0: Jason Miari's is joining us, the uh, the Attorney General of our beloved Commonwealth. You, you're talking about the, uh, the actions on the part of the, the former governor, the former Attorney General, uh, left-wing hacks who, who just uh, didn't really care. But, you know, we also saw that compounded, as you know. Uh, the state inspector general gets involved. Jennifer Muschietti conducts an investigation. She's honest. She's up front. She does a good, solid investigation. And the next thing you know... Um, you've got uh, Governor Northam's chief of staff, Clark Mercer. you got his secretary of public safety, Brian Moran, dragging her through mm-hmm. the mud. I mean, you know, where, where did where does she go to get some degree of, of justice or get her name back?
1: Well, I know that she's involved in litigation. But what I can say, and this is the thing that's probably the most outrageous. You know, the General Assembly, when you had this one party uh, left wing monopoly uh, in Virginia, they never investigated the parole board. They actually paid a quarter of a million dollars to Nixon Peabody, a law firm out of New York, charging roughly $5,000 a day for their investigation. But rather than investigate the parole board, rather than to see whether any laws are broken, rather than to see why in the world they let a cop killer back on the street and not be in touch with the victims, they investigated the whistleblower. And what was so outrageous is the people of Virginia, $250,000 of taxpayer money for a report that was a total whitewash. They never even interviewed Adrian Bennett. They never even interviewed the whistleblower. They interviewed 18 witnesses in which the vast, vast majority of the witnesses said that um, the the the, the um, inspector general report said it was an unbiased report uh, mm-hmm. that the inspector general 11 of the 18 said that it was not biased at all uh, of the five individuals that said maybe it was a possibility of being biased four for the five or north political appointees. The majority of the people they interviewed said this was an unbiased professional report that never made the report. That never made the report at all. It never made the report that the chief of staff Ralph Northam said that Adrian Bennett was out of control and needed to be held accountable. That never made the report. And candidly, somebody should call Nixon Peabody and ask for the, the taxpayer refund for the quarter of a million dollars they spent that they completely left out huge sections of the report. We were able to go back, read the transcripts, read the, the totality of what they their portion of the investigation. And that was another astonishing moment the fact that a quarter of a million dollars was spent of taxpayer money and it created the report that they created, and they they failed to interview the people they should have interviewed mm-hmm. and then they 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 failed to mention certain key points as well that was astonishing as well
0: so is is that a simply a uh, uh incompetence a bush league operation or was it sort of a cleanup operation for the northam team
1: uh, you know i i hope that there'll be some reporters that ask those questions uh, i will say this that Um, You know, the entire email history for Adrian Bennett was deleted. Uh, We were never able to ascertain why. We were able to recover a lot of the emails that she sent to other state employees. Um, uh, But her entire email server was deleted. It was never a satisfactory answer why. Uh, Very, 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 very troubling what we saw. It was astonishing what we saw. Um, you know, and, and to really put the, the the cherry on top of all investigation was that Adrian Bennett, when she was on the bench, she is now a JDR judge in Virginia Beach. While she was on the bench, she was still communicating and emailing individuals on the parole board about getting certain individuals released. Well, that is a violation of a, of one of the canons of judicial conduct, uh, that she was continuing to transact the business of the parole board, even after taking the bench. And as you know, we have very, very clear separation of powers in Virginia. You can't be trying to exercise an executive branch function from a judicial branch. Um, And uh, she was personally corresponding with the offenders that were about to be discharged. She seemed much, much more interested in corresponding and communicating with some of these individuals than some of the victims and the families of the victims. Um, And, uh, you know, so, you know, and then we found eight other court orders Mm-hmm. A court orders that said this person is in, ineligible for role. A judge issues a court order, as you know, you could be held potentially in contempt. Again, eight different times of that was ignored as well. Um that it it was just a vi it was just shocking to see. And so um, you know, it's unfortunate the statute of limitations has lapsed. I'm, I'm proud of the team that investigated. We interviewed over forty witnesses, reviewed thousands and thousands of emails um and and documentation. And um, you know now, now the hands now the future Judge Bennett's going to be in the hands of the general Assembly. They're going to have to make that determination. What her next the next uh, steps lie.
0: All right, that's what I was going to ask you. So the statute of limitations oh. that clock has run out. No criminal prosecutions on any of this but mm-hmm. she, she clearly as a sitting judge according to this uh, violated at least one of the uh, canons of judicial conduct and then you start looking at uh, 111 violations of the parole board policy manual eight court orders mm-hmm. all the rest of it uh, what is the step for the general assembly to take can they remove her
1: well there is impeachment that's what the general assembly has that power they have the power to impeach her Uh, That would be a simple majority in the House and a trial in the Senate. The General Assembly can, uh, you know, they can come back anytime this year uh, to do that trial. Uh, I know they're obviously focused on session right now, as they should be. Mm -hmm. But listen, I'll let the General Assembly decide whether they want to keep somebody on the bench that uh, released 134 uh, convicted felons early from prison, 83 different times failed to notify the victims, 66 different failures to notify your local Commonwealth's attorney, uh, uh, serious allegations of, of changing parole discharge records for yep. three different first-degree murderers and violation of Virginia Code eighteen point two dash four seventy two, multiple cases where she ignored uh, over a hundred violations of the parole board policy manual and at least eight different court orders uh, finding offenders were eligible for parole in which. Uh, the opposite of what a court order was. And so I'll let the General Assembly decide whether they want that individual uh, to, uh, who has had that pattern of conduct uh, to remain on the bench. But being a judge uh, means you call balls and strikes. Being a judge means you do not interpret the law the way you wish it was. You interpret the law the way it is. And I think one of the most telling things in the Pro Board report is that uh, Secretary Brian Moran informed her she was not allowed to reinterpret Virginia's three strikes her law. Uh, To change that interpretation of the law, you would have to change the Virginia Code. The way you change the Virginia Code is a piece of legislation. Uh, Scott Serval, a very um, left-wing criminal first victim last senator from Northern Virginia, actually carried the bill, presumably on Judge Bennett's behalf, to let it easier for murderers, rapists, and killers to be back on the street. That bill died in the General Assembly. So even though she was told by Secretary Moran, you cannot interpret the law this way without a change of the Code of Virginia, Uh, Mm -hmm. and and that would have to be a piece of legislation that died. She knew that that bill died. She interpreted the law the way she wanted to anyway. She interpreted the law the way she wished it was, not the way the law actually was. And I'll let the General Assembly decide whether they want somebody like that, uh, that type of interpretation to remain on the
0: bench. Fair enough. Thank you so much. That is Jason Miyaris, Attorney General of Virginia. Jeff Katz, News Radio WRBA.